this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me on the Relax Back UK show. show today is a hopeful and positive message to start the new year. Julian Morgan's life has been run by his need for alcohol for years. However, he's managed to break free from that and is all the happier for it. Stick to it and you will have daily sobriety. And right. I am one happy chappy. He tells the story of just how bad he was and more importantly, how he managed to get better, get better and also write a book to help others. This show is cool. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alka-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alka-Cells, part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells, life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. The station that makes you feel good. Julian Morgan is a recovered alcoholic. He's written a book called Surrender. So first off, I asked him what it was all about. Yeah, hi Mike. Um, firstly, thanks very much indeed for um, having me on your show today. Uh, You're very welcome. I think the apt word is um, grateful and gratitude does come into the journal uh, a lot um, uh, when people hopefully will be reading it. Um, it is an essential part of addiction recovery. And that is what my book is all about. It is all about my journey from being a chronic alcoholic, unfortunately, um, from the my age, basically in the early 20s. I, looking back, I definitely had issues um, from the age of about 10, funnily enough. And um, ultimately, through my schooling, you know, in, in those, I'm 56 years of age. So in those days, um, it wasn't recognised at all as a uh, problem. Um, in actual fact, if anybody said that, then you were ultimately the, you know, the dregs of uh, dregs of society, and um, you were classified the same as a, um, you know, as a rapist or some sort of, um, you know, uh, paedophile. Um, and so it was ultimately ignored. And so I then, through my teenage years, I was actually very good at sport, and. I represented the county, the east of England. I had a national ranking as a junior at tennis. Um, there was a possibility, I suppose, at the age of 14 to go to America and become professional. But um, my father didn't actually like that idea. He preferred me to stay at school and basically play first 15 rugby. And tennis and things like that. So, in actual <laughs> fact, my upbringing has been pretty normal. Um, right. Middle class family, two brothers, two sisters, very loving parents, no 
uh, addiction issues at all with anybody through any of the um, uh, generations, except possibly for an auntie, but um, that's a different ballgame. Um, and so, yeah, so basically what then happened was that I uh, wasn't particularly academic and I tried for the army to become an army officer. I cocked up RCB, the regular commissions board, um, to get into Sandhurst. So I went in as a soldier for a very limited amount of time. Um, and again, at that, in those days, I didn't, didn't nobody recognised that I, I, I had a really ultimately a major issue with is, li is life as a soldier or was life as a soldier then quite a hard drinking life or it could be uh but totally honest i wasn't in there for particularly uh long at all the reason being is that part of my uh potential officers course to get into santos was to um become a sales manager in london i had to just become a a, a manager for any company in any industry, wherever. And a friend of mine was a, a, an exceptionally good photocopier salesman. And so I decided to go and have a look at that for a couple of weeks, went there, saw the money earning potential. And I thought, wow. So after the potential officers course, after um, my basic training as a soldier, um, I was on a, 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 an O-type engagement, which meant that I could come out basically whenever I wanted. So I hadn't actually signed up for a period of time. So I came out and went straight into photocopier sales. Now, um, prior to going into the military, they said that I was a little bit too young at the age of 17. So I went on a kibbutz in <coughs> Israel and a mushaf just to get some independence, confidence. I don't, um, I don't know what a mushaf is. I've heard of a kibbutz. What's a mushaf, Jerry? Yeah, a mushaf is more. Yeah, a mushaf, a mushaf is more of a. Uh, should we say a labour camp more than anything? You you work for a farmer as opposed to a community, um, and you get paid in US dollars, and you make um, a lot more money on a. You actually earn a living on a mushaf as opposed to pocket money on uh, a kibbutz whereas right. the 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 um you know the kibbutz actually provides everything for you all your food ev ev absolutely everything um and so those two i did now very important point here actually mike on the mushaf and the kibbutz um they that is also where i started to um uh, drink quite heavily because it was uh, just the norm to when you finished a day's work whether it be on the kibbutz or the moshaf was to go into the local um, shop and get a bottle of spirit and over there it used to be the local vodka or a spirit called Arat and um, so I used to drink a bottle of that anyway that's another thing that's in the book where it all started and escalated from so anyway coming back from that went to the army Popped up my RCB, went into sales. In those days, it was the late 80s, early 90s, before the Thatcher recession came in. And so it was a license to print money. And it was the champagne Charlie lifestyle, if you like to call it. Um, money was no object. You hit your sales targets. You had, and basically all, you know, I was, I, I, I bought a flat and was mortgage free by the age of 21 um in st albans which is quite an affluent area <laughs> so, oh, what through um, selling photocopiers yeah through wow. selling photocopiers and so you, the, he, 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 you must have been very good at it i can <laughs> um i i must admit i i i did quite well um the sales team that i was in ourselves our, our sales team were the top photocopier sales team in london seven years in a row so um we did we, we we did well and we got paid well but we parted well right so so yeah so let's let's explore this because when we were chatting earlier for a lot of the yeah. time you kind of described yourself as, as as a functioning alcoholic so you know you must have been functioning quite well to buy a flat by the age of 21 
Um, really, because yes. no one's going to give you that. Yes, exactly. Um, functioning alcoholic is actually quite important because a lot of people would classify themselves as heavy drinkers, heavy boozers, um, excuse the French, piss head, booze hound, as they would call it in the States. Um, and so it was, <clears throat> again, part, as I say, I was like 21. So uh, you're looking at, um, you know, the early 90s. And it, it, again, it just wasn't uh, alcohol addiction. Anything like that was not just, take, just wasn't taken seriously at all. It was everybody's finger pinpointed at the old stigma of the dirty old man on the bench with a brown paper bag and a, and a you know a bottle of the strongest spirits or or, or, or wine you can possibly get um and they were the people they sort of like turn their nose up against all that sort of stuff but we were ultimately exactly the same um exactly the same except we didn't come across or appear like that but mentally we were because the illness i like to call it an illness as opposed to a disease i think it's a mental illness it's personal it's my opinion a lot of people will dis disagree but a lot of people will agree um and basically that illness was there already and it was just a matter of it escalating right but pe people couldn't see it because of course <clears throat> i had all the flash cars i was going out all the nice clothes you know it was um yeah it, it was an absolutely celebrity life really if you want to call it that um and then as i say the recession came in in 91 straight 92 and it was impossible to reach targets so I decided to jump ship and tick off a bucket list thing, which was to go and do some backpacking. So, because I had the itch after being on the kibbutz anyway. Now, was that itch because I enjoyed the drinking on the kibbutz, or was it, or was it because I actually, you know, seriously wanted to go travelling again? Now, I think possibly it was more that I could go over there, backpack for a year, and then drink to my heart's content, yeah? So is, but, is that what you did, effectively? You went off on a bit of a... Yes, a yes, exactly around that. Europe. Absolutely that, absolutely that, because I knew I could get away with it, right? So with all good intentions, and I did, I, I went, to, um, I went, I spent a couple of years in Australia, um, a year working, on my tourist visa and a year um, overstaying. Uh, and basically after, after the two years, I think I got barred for um, for three years or something. I don't know. For, for so you, you were an alcoholic illegal in Australia? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, basically. All but right. The what what is, happened then? So yeah. you came back to the UK? Yeah, so back, well, no, what happened then was that from New Zealand, as uh, from Australia, the natural, the natural progression was to go to uh, New Zealand. And I went to New Zealand and I managed to get a couple of three year work permits, okay, which basically meant six years. And then I overstayed for another couple of years there as well, which was eight. So my total um, stay in the Southern Hemisphere was 10 years now. My work was basically nightclub, bar, or uh, wine bar management, which meant that I could drink to my heart's content free. Yeah, this okay. sounds like a those, pretty dangerous um, occupation for an alcoholic. There in those days, weren't owned. Um, exceptionally dangerous occupation. Exceptionally dangerous occupation. And basically what i was doing was that i was enabling myself all the time so from basically not even possibly realizing it but i was still from the age of about 18 i was enabling myself um so that i could near enough at all times 
have drink available for me all the time. Yeah. yeah. Now, so where it comes to addiction and where it comes to alcoholism or drug addiction, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't matter at all. Addiction full stop. It will escalate and it does escalate. And where it comes to, you were mentioned earlier on about... Um, well, being a functioning point, alcoholic, we functioning, were talking about. You were saying about fun, fun, functioning alcoholic. Yeah, a functioning alcoholic. Um, you can be a functioning alcoholic. And a lot of people stay a functioning alcoholic for long periods of time. You can actually, you know, sometimes decades. But then what happens is that it does go that one step further. And I can... I've seen this in so many people. Uh, <clears throat> they then will become dependent on it. And at the end of the day, unless you stop this increase of harm, basically, that you're doing to yourself and literally everybody that you associate with, you will become dependent. And then that's it. That is when your chips are up. That is when you have basically had it. Right. So you, so you were living your life doing all I, kinds of exciting things as a, as a functioning alcoholic. Yeah. At, at some point, yeah. you must have said to yourself, right, um, I need to change. Enough is enough. Did that happen quickly yeah. or did you slide into that? And when did that happen? Basically, what happened there, Mike, was that I wanted to change i literally wanted i knew i had an issue i knew i had an issue when i was 21 i just did not realize how quickly and how um seriously it would escalate um from you know having the uh, pint of lager to the glass of wine to the odd G and T, to um, a straight a straight gin, to a bottle, <laughs> and then um, ultimately at the end of my, as it were, heyday, I was on literally um, between a liter and two liters of spirits neat a day, and I am just probably the luckiest man on this planet to be alive. And that is what my GP told, told me. But you, you can't have so, been a functioning alcoholic then. Did you have a job when no, you were drinking no, that much? No, no, it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. What happened then was that my life was just utter obliteration. I knew that I had a problem when I was 21, but I just did not know what to do about it. I had no idea at all. I wanted to give up. I thought to myself, right, let's go cold turkey. Oh, no way, Jose. You feel so ill. And also, I'll just put, I'll point this out, that um, the degree of severity of alcoholism, um, if your body is that dependent on it, alcohol withdrawal can be fatal. And not many people know that. I don't think you knew that, Mike, did you? No, no, you mentioned that earlier. I was very surprised by that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it can be fatal. So basically, you are in this cycle of wanting to give up, not knowing how to give up. When you try, um, you know, the likes of willpower or things such as that, which do not work, I can assure you do not work. So any, any of your listeners think, oh, I could do it on willpower. You can't. And if you think you can do it on willpower and you have done it on willpower, I can assure you, you are not an alcoholic, mate. Um, and, um, you know, go and, go and do something else. Um, you know, go on the bloody tennis court or whatever. Um, but unfortunately, um, the escalation uh, is miserable and you go into very deep, dark places. Exactly the same, exactly the same with um, with drug addicts. They're in a cycle as well. They, um, with a drug addict though, they're, when they have a fix, that won't last very long. So they've got to have one pretty damn quickly. 
Whereas alcohol, you can just top it up, top it up until you uh, basically black out. And then um, you can start again the following day. You know, you might, because you've got so much alcohol in your system, you might be able to last until the following night. That's how a lot of people can get through the day working. And that's why they call themselves uh, functioning alcoholics. But there will be a stage during the course of that day where they will start white knuckling. They will start looking at that clock thinking, Jesus Christ, when can I get home? When can I finish work? Because I do need to top that up because I am feeling light. Unfortunately, where it comes to um, drugs, they that, that's basically where, where the term chasing the dragon comes from. Uh, because they need fixes all the time so much quicker than right. you do where it comes to alcohol. But, but, it's a big but, I say this because you then can reach a level of your alcoholism where you have literally got to get up in the morning and pour a large gin over your cornflakes because your withdrawal is so bad, you know, you can't even pick up a teaspoon to put sugar in your tea. You know, you cannot do anything. You cannot think straight. Yeah. It just, you just, you just cannot do anything until you have alcohol in your system to make you feel normal. Also, also, what happens is that when you do have, and everybody does it, everybody in addiction is exactly the same. You know, you will have so much shame and guilt. You will have so much anxiety, a paranoia, um, the feeling of worthlessness, um, you know, the feeling of harm and what you've done to other people. And um, it's, it's absolutely dreadful. Um, but you can't do anything about it. You just cannot do anything about it. So, but Julius, let, let me just interrupt it. Uh, let, let's kind of rewind. You're saying you can't yeah. do anything about it, but you must have done because you're talking to me now and you, you know, you, you, you haven't had a drink for years. So yeah. what, how did you get out of that spiral? Exactly. Exactly. What happened was that I looking back also didn't want to do anything about it either because i enjoyed um initially the uh the drinking and the mood it put me in but then i didn't enjoy um the uh my my character and what people then saw me they they saw no this isn't julian this is oh my god who is this man and so ultimately i thought right rehab okay and i thought right i can do that and luckily um i managed to have uh, in, in those days i went to my first rehab in 2004 which is a place down in boscombe in bournemouth and it was government funded. So I went there, very lucky. I don't think it's around now, unfortunately. Um, there aren't many government funded places in the UK, I understand, but I think they are trying to improve that situation. The, 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 the current government have recognized it and they are trying to improve it. So hats off to them if this does actually happen. So anyway, Went there, six months. I went there and I, and I still, I thought, woohoo, six months, off the booze, no problem at all, I'll come out. Totally new man, great stuff, let's start from fresh. But, but I went in there with, with the intention not to give up the booze. I went, in, I went in there with the intention to come out and try and control it. Now, this is the a massive, massive thing. You cannot control addiction. You can't control it. So, of course, I came out. Once again, I thought, right, I've done six months. Straight away, down the pub, have a drink. Now, that one drink on a Monday, I can assure you, by the Friday, you'll be back on drinking top shelf, drinking your straight jeans, straight gin chasers with five five pints of Stella. And then another couple of weeks down the line, 
could be back straight into rehab again. And that is why these <laughs> rehabs are so profitable because it is just like a conveyor belt of people going in, getting sober um, with the medication they take, like detox, like Librium, where it comes to heroin, methadone or whatever. They just go straight back out again and they and um, do it all over again and straight back in rehab. Now, so you got you got off the conveyor belt and got on with life and wrote your book. So give us kind of a yeah, potted version of how you managed exactly. that. Yeah, it based, basically this took me 20 years. So 20 years of denial of saying I could control it relapsing and by the way every single relapse you do is worse than the last one i can assure your listeners and the ones that are listening to this who are in recovery will 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 be able will be able to relate to this a relapse is worse than the last one it escalates anyway on my eighth rehab and this was um just under six years ago now um so I'm coming up to six years sober. Um, and it was Christmas Eve, and I decided to check myself in to a rehab on Christmas Eve. Um, and it was in Watford, just down the road from me in St. Albans. Jumped in a taxi. On the way to the rehab, I said to the taxi driver, can you stop off at this garage, please? Because I want to uh, buy some cigarettes uh for the um for the um for the rehab and i got out of the taxi to go into the garage tripped on the step broke my ankle and the taxi then took me to watford general hospital and on christmas eve i was in watford general hospital until they couldn't operate until new year's day because my leg was so swollen um and I spent the whole of that two weeks in that ward on my own. Uh, unfortunately, my relationship with family and friends was um, at rock bottom because of the mental uh, strain that I had put them under for so many years. Um, you see, what you've got to remember is that people can forget what you do. People can forget um, what you have said, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And so all everybody that I knew were ultimately really, really hurt. So I didn't see anybody for the whole of that fortnight. So, Julian, after you've been like on your own in hospital over Christmas with a broken foot brought on by staggering around because you were drunk, did, did, did you then go to the rehab? Yes, I did. I did. And to be totally honest, Mike, what happened was that um, hospital for a week, uh, as I say, between... Christmas Eve and New, New Year's Day, um, I, I, without a doubt, was work uh, was the worst worst week of, of of my entire life. I had hit I had hit rock bottom, um, and that is when I basically cried out for help. Um, that is when I found my spirituality and my higher powers and. You will not find that. You will not find those higher powers or um, your own spirituality until you reach that particular stage where you have just had enough. And rather just going into loads of detail now, because I could speak to you for a week about this, Mike, about spirituality and higher powers and things like that. I'll just leave it for the readers to possibly do their own research or read the book. Look at my exp um, my explanation, because it might take a long time. But if you are desperate enough and you have had enough, you have hit rock 
bottom and you finally have the desire to stop drinking or stop taking drugs, um, you will find spirituality. You will find higher powers. And those higher powers guide me literally on a daily basis. And they keep me sober and they keep me in sobriety. All right. Let, let, let me ask you. Long -term. Let me ask you a bit about that, because that must be a very important thing. Where, wherever the sort of the strength or the guide comes for it, for it, people that have are alcoholics but don't drink anymore, I can imagine them having to set up a kind of a daily plan or a way of living to, such that they, they're not tempted or alcohol doesn't come their way. Um is, is that something that you, you have, you've battled with and, and is that something you've written about in your book? It is exactly what I've written about in my book, Mike. Um, basically, the first half of the book is that final journey through um, that uh, rehab and how I found spirituality and how I found my higher powers. Um, and then the second half of the book is how I live on a daily basis and how I stay recovered on a daily basis. Um, today, I am recovered. I don't know what I'll be like tomorrow, but today I am recovered. So some people will call me a recovering alcoholic. Some people will call me a recovered alcoholic. Um, but the point is, today, I am recovered. And the way I go around that is that I have a set of tasks that I do daily and um these are all itemized in the book they are explained they are uh, i've given examples yeah, give, give us an example or two julian well okay <coughs> excuse me so basically what happens is that my daily routine starts off with now people are going to think oh no religion religion but it's not religion I start off with prayer and meditation in the morning. Now, I just have a chat, and that chat is to my higher powers first thing in the morning, just to guide me through the day. Anything that's on my mind, any problems, any struggles, any um, anything that I, um, I feel as though I need ironed out just so that I can feel safe, I will confront my higher powers with any of those issues first thing in the morning, and I do get them solved. Now, that's that part done. The second part of the day, during the course of the day, I always um, make a gratitude list. I always um, have a small, bit of, small pen and paper around, and I write little gratitudes down wherever I go. And I make, uh, I make a list of 10 gratitudes every day. Gratitude, basically, if you're grateful for something, it puts a smile on your face. It it, it, it it makes you joyful. It makes you happy. Yeah. The whole idea of that is to turn around negative thinking into positive thinking. As soon as you have negative thinking, then you start going down the the um, you know the, the the doom and gloom again. You, you know, you've got to say positive. And so, writing a gratitude list every day is absolutely imperative. Right, so Julian, I, I know recovering alcoholics or you know people that have had trouble with drink, they they talk about triggers and things that they have to kind of keep themselves away from, uh, so that they you know they don't uh, regress into that their old habits. Have you have you got um, triggers that are specific to you? And do you talk yeah, about yeah. triggers in the book as well? Yes, I have. Yeah, I have my uh, triggers are actually so important they are what we call the um, red alert areas um ultimately when you uh, are in early recovery part of um uh, organizing your daily plan is to work out your own personal trigger list now that trigger list can be obviously bars restaurants nightclubs um certain people um all sorts there's there there are loads again it's again it's all in the book um and it states exactly how to pinpoint how to look at triggers um you know because you can't turn around and say oh well well i might have drunk in that situation or i might have used a drug in that you know no it doesn't work like that 
you know, would you or would you have not? And if you have the slightest doubt, bang, that is a trigger. You've got to have those worked out before you start your daily recovery, before, you know, before you start. But you will work all this out anyway in a rehab or with a counsellor or with um, any um, help or even reading my book. You can work it out yourself from reading oh. my book now. What, what, one thing that I just want to ask about you, we were talking about it when, before we were recording. You, meant, you mentioned holidays. Yes, that's yeah, that's that's right. I Tell mean, us that, about that. That 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 is that is a that is a that is a trigger, Mike, for uh, so many people. Absolutely. What happens is that <laughs> what happens with that when you're in when you're in addiction, you are permanently trying to enable yourself to have a drink and get away with it. Yeah. And what you do, you convince yourself that a change of location, you can go there, whether it be a town just around the corner or whether it be a long haul flight to the other side of the world. When you return back to where you live, you're going to start all over again. Clean slate, not drink. Yeah. So, of course, holidays, you think, right, I'm going to go for a two week holiday. I'm going to go, we hell, hell for leather in the bars, restaurants, have a great old shindig, knees up, all that sort of stuff. And when I just touch back at Luton Airport, then, right, I'm not going to touch a drop ever again. Yeah, it does not work like that. It just you can't do it. You cannot do it. And then what happens is that you get back to Luton Airport on the on the uh, Monday morning. And by the following Sunday night, you are basically in absolute shite order. Once back again, to square one. all over again, all over again. Yeah, um, it does not work. So things like that, location, um, environment, association, um, you know, they're all they're, they are all triggers, and you've just got to work them out. And as I say, um, there is a quite a straightforward way of doing that. Again, written written in the um written in the book for people to understand it's, it's it's not difficult now very importantly my main trigger which still is actually it's it's worth mentioning this very briefly is that my main trigger is um has always been relationships when i split up with somebody generally through booze um i try and uh, suppress all my feelings cottonwood all my feelings by the booze by um using that as a mask you know um and what happens with alcohol full stop you um it enhances those deep dark depressive feelings it takes you down further and further and further and of course the only way of making you feel any better is to drink more right so i know for a fact relationships are a no-no for me so um, but what I do now, um, considering I've had quite a few years of sobriety, is that I still don't go into relationships. What I do is I actually participate, should we say, in the swinger community. Now, in a nutshell, swingers are um, uh, a set of people that are um, very uh, liberated. They are... Um, um, they have the same mindset as you. Um, it is all about no strings attached, NSA relationships. So there is no commitment. Um, and it might be couples, it might be singles, it might be three people, it might be five people. They have um, swinger clubs, swinger parties. There are swinger sites on the web where you can um, you, you, you can meet um, the same like-minded people. But the point is, there is no commitment. There is no relationship. You can have feelings, but there's no relationship. And that works for me because um, like any, any human being, you have your natural needs. Um, and I can get my natural needs through this situation without any commitment. And it works. So... Again, it's all about trying to work these things out. And when you gradually progress through the second half of the book, it will point these out. Um, I've written all sorts of other uh, poems as well. I think I sent you a poem, Mike. Did you read my poem? Uh, no, I have to admit, I haven't, I haven't read uh, the poem. 
right, no, yeah, I'll sorry about that, Julian. No, that's okay. That's okay. I've 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 actually done twelve poems as well. The reason I did uh, the, the reason I did that was because it um um it, it it puts another dimension to the book. It makes it some some people might find the poems easier to understand than what I actually wrote. Um, or they what it does it reinforces also some of the stuff. So I've basically done a poem on on high power. I've done a poem on AA and the fellowship. I've done a poem on relationships. I've done a poem on um, uh, on the likes of denial. I've done, there's loads. There's that. Right. There's twelve. There's, there's, there's 12, well, 12, let's, twelve. Let's 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 park that so people can go and explore that if they want to um, via, via reading your book. Let me ask you about something which is um, what well, advice, really, and because yeah. you you you've kind of lived through all of this. If someone has a friend or a family member that they're frankly somewhat concerned about, they think they might be drinking too much. You know, they they, they could be a functioning alcoholic or or whatever the situation is. Actually, broaching the subject with them. Uh, I no. imagine could be extremely difficult. Well, have you got any advice for this? And I'm sure a lot of people are in this situation. What, yeah, what can there, you actually there, do if you're worried about yeah. someone? There's going to be, um, you've, you've, you've just basically hit the nail on the head there. There is going to be loads of people listening to this particular show, Mike, and they will know. As a natural fact, if you look at the whole, if you look at the whole population, really, I mean, I'm not exaggerating here. If you look at the whole population, every single person will know somebody, whether it be family, whether it be a friend, whether it be a friend of a friend, whether it be an association of someone at work or whatever, they will know somebody who has got an addiction issue. Yeah, they will. Now, it's a difficult one because you can't approach them you cannot approach them especially if they are in denial because it will come back in your face like a meteorite yeah it really will and it will upset them anybody came to me in my heyday and said oh don't you think you're drinking a bit too much then julian and i say you say i'm not drinking too much where do you go? F off, you know. Um, mind your own business, you know, because you think it's all, or you always think it's the others. You don't think it's you. It's always the others. It's always the others ganging up on you. It's all the others that have got the problem. You haven't got the problem. Yeah. It. In in, in an ideal world, you have to wait until that person comes up and says, "Mike." Um, can I have a quick word with you, mate? And, uh, you know, and so I've got a bit of a, um, I think I've got an issue here. Um, look, can I just possibly have your feelings on it? What do you think about it? Um, but, you know, that is, you know, as rare as what you can possibly get because people who have got issues and don't want to admit they have issues will not listen to anybody. And by actually approaching them and saying, look, I think you need to go and sort yourself out. They know that anyway. They know that anyway. <laughs> and all it will do was get on their nerves and it, it, you know, and it will. It will just cause huge, massive animosity. It really will. So it's difficult. It's difficult. Now, especially with friends, especially with friends. Family, that's how you get family rifts. Um, you know, I have spent years making amends to my family. And luckily, I think um, I'm OK now. Um, but it took me a long time. You will make amends with friends and family, but it does take time. It is not a short process, I can assure you. Um, and yeah, it is, it is, it is. So difficult. it's difficult to approach. Maybe, maybe you could- It um, is difficult, it is difficult. The only way- Buy them your the book. The only way you can, <clears throat> the only way you can do, do that 
it's really um, after it, it, any way of really doing that is is ultimately on a health on a health situation. Saying, look, you know, you are going so badly downhill. You know, you have it. You have got to see somebody. Otherwise, you are not going to be alive in six months' time. Um, that is one way of doing it. But then again, though, um, I got told on numerous occasions, look, if you don't give up, you will be dead. Ah, oh, so what? Boo. You know, let me have a drink and I'll just forget about what you just said. You know, it's the whole same game. You know, if something you don't like, you hear something that you don't like, you just drink to forget about it. Yeah. So ultimately, it is it is it is down to that person wanting to do it. You can obviously say it, and the more people, do, I mean, you know, Mike, every single family member, everyone, even my nephews and nieces, turned around and said, "God, bloody hell! I, I, I don't like being around Uncle Julian at the moment because you know he's he's drunk again," you know. All my friends, oh, God, you know, are we going out with Julian? Oh, Jesus Christ, we've got to carry him home. You know, oh, my God, we've got to pick him up off the off, off, off the, off the pavement. You know, you know, and it, 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 it just doesn't matter because, because you are so, um, uh, you know, taken with this insidious illness. Um, it's, you are oblivious, really. For, for, for people trying to help you don't think they're trying to help you just think that they all they're doing is trying to pry into your life right um it is it is it's insanity it's insanity mike and that's the unfortunate thing about addiction it is insanity because you are powerless over it you are like a puppet all right well, I, I, we're, we're gonna have to mask. Summit, you can. I guess you're just going to have to do what you can do uh, when you can. If you're if you're worried about someone, Look, I, I think yeah. Julian, it's what, a window of opportunity. I tell you what, Mike, I'll leave it on this one on that particular subject. It, it it's just got to be a window of opportunity, and you've yeah. got to spot that window of opportunity. And if you think there's one there, go for it. Grab it um, <laughs> and see what and see what happens, and just see what happens. But I'm just I'm I'm being honest. I'm just being totally honest, and this honesty is coming from my own personal experiences. That's yeah, it. of course, you've been there. That's why I'm asking these questions. Now, final question. You've written your book. How can people get hold of it if they're thinking, right, I need, I need to have a read of this? Uh, where is it? Where can people get hold of your book? Okay, it's on Amazon uh, KDP. Um, and uh, the book is called Surrender. Underneath it, it says how to break free from addiction. And on the front cover is a, um, a picture of a phoenix. Actually, I'll send you the cover, Mike. Did you get that? Yeah, I got that. Yeah, yeah. The picture of um, picture of the phoenix, um, which is uh, the symbol of rebirth. And, of course, when you decide to stop drinking and have the desire to to um to stop drinking or taking drugs then you do have to change your life and it is like being reborn uh, excellent and you have got basically a brand new life in front of you you really have and i must admit i i over the last six years just over, i have i i haven't i've just i've been so happy i've been so happy it's just it's great. And I've got all my friends back. I've got all my family back. Uh, you know, um, oh, is Uncle Julian coming? Uh, you know, but, you know, uh, in the old days, you know, I wouldn't even get a Christmas card. Right. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So, Julian, it sounds like it's been a success for you. So well done. Yeah. Yeah, Keep it, it going. And thank you very much indeed for telling your story and uh, just uh, giving us an insight on what it's like to uh, to go through this. Mike, it, I can assure you, it is horrible. And it, unfortunately, um, people aren't aware of this, but so many millions of people are affected throughout 
the world. Um, and it's just making people aware. And yeah, it's, 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 I'm doing my 12 step, Mike. I'm helping them out. Have a look at the book. It's a process that works for me. Hopefully it will work for them. And it is an easy process. Stick to it and you will have daily sobriety. And right. I am one happy chappy. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alga-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alga-Cells, part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alga-Cells, life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. The station that makes you feel good. Thank you very much to my guest on this week's show. It was Julian Morgan, who's written a book called Surrender. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening. That was the Relax Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening. And please do join us again next time.